Thank you for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoy it. If you're enjoying Pirate Living Podcasts and all the content we bring to you each week, you can support us and buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash pirate living. Other ways you can show your support as well, subscribe and follow Pirate Living Podcast, rate and review our show, and share this podcast with your friends. You can find us on Instagram at Pirate Living Podcast to keep up with the latest episodes, awesome guests, and bonus clips. Pop in and say hi. We love chatting with fellow pirates. You can also reach out to us uh, to learn more about our individual and group coaching programs. And as usual, keep creating good trouble. And now, on to today's episode. Welcome to Pirate Living Podcast. We are your hosts, Karan and Krista. On this podcast, we are highlighting ordinary people living extraordinary lives. These are pirates who take small, bold actions daily to create social change. Pirate life is all about rebelling and breaking the rules for good. Creating lasting social change starts by first breaking our inner rules. After all, the hardest rules to break are your own. The pirates we highlight have dedicated themselves to creating good trouble. And today we are chatting with Ashwin Vaithya Nathan. Ashwin is a professional tennis player and a part of the Athlete First team, which helps athletes maximize their potential so that they can be successful both on and off the courts. After pursuing two master's degrees, Ashwin decided it was time to take life into his own hands and pursue his dreams. And now he helps others pursue their purpose and step out of the matrix of society. And Ashwin, we are glad to be chatting with you today. Yeah, so happy to be on here, guys. So, um, well, we talked with Clint, who you've been working with, with Athlete First back a while ago. And so we learned a little bit about Athlete First and what he was doing through that. But we'd love to hear from you um, what your pirate journey is, um, what led you. Yeah, what start from the beginning, wherever that is, and then tell us how you got to where you are today working with Athlete First um, and everything along the way. Yeah, so I thought about this question. I knew that question was coming about when my pirate journey started. And I realized it started when I was born. So as weird as that may sound, I've always thought I was different than most kids growing up or just there was something different about what I wanted to do, whether it was school or sports. Like I always had an interest in certain subjects in school and wanted to do well, but I knew I didn't want to go on the same path as everyone else. So that side of me was always there. Now the decisions that I made were still following society and what I was supposed to do for a while. And the first real change that I made, the first real decision was when I was um, in my freshman year of college, I went to Purdue and I wasn't playing on the tennis team there. I didn't get an opportunity to play. And I decided to transfer and leave that school and go to UT Dallas where I could play on the team there. I switched majors, I switched schools and decided to pursue my dream of playing college tennis at the time. And that was the first real decision I made that um, was following that pirate type of lifestyle where I wanted to do my own thing. But I felt like that my whole life, I just didn't have the power to make those decisions at that time. So once I got into college and I made that first decision, I saw that I, it was time to take matters into my own hands for the rest of my life and do what I wanted to do. Yeah. So you, yeah, took into your own hands doing what you wanted to do. Um, was it like taking us back a little bit through that too? Was it tricky for you when you were trying to like going from following the norm to following what you wanted to do? Was there any resistance that you had either with yourself or with people around you um, that you had to go through or yeah? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So um, I grew up in a traditional Indian immigrant household where academics were first, sports were like the thing you do on the side where, you know, you want your kid to be involved in all the extracurricular activities, but academics is still the number one thing. And you have to pursue that and go to the best college you can and then get a nine to five job and make six figures and live that type of lifestyle. So 
that was the same thing for me throughout high school. And I ended up starting tennis later than 90% of people. Like I started tennis my junior year of high school where most people have been playing since they were five years old in academies and training. And that's their goal of playing in college. So I started in my junior year of high school and I still wanted to play in college. So when I got to college, I got accepted into Purdue, into their engineering program. And it's one of the top engineering schools in the world, very well known. And it lined up perfectly with what my parents wanted me to do, where get the engineering degree and then get a good job after college, right? So once I got to Purdue, I realized that's not what I wanted to do. Like, but I met with the coach there and the coach told me like, you're not going to play here in all four years. Like you weren't good enough. And looking back, I wasn't good enough to play there at the time. I ended up getting a lot better throughout college. But when I first got there, I only had a couple of years of experience, right? And then I also realized the major that like the engineering major wasn't exactly what I wanted to do. It was really heavily involved in science and I was more interested in math and also the business side of things. So immediately I was like, okay, this is not where I want to be. I'm in that small town in Indiana and I'm not playing the sport I want and I'm not in the major that I want. So I decided to switch and man, my parents were just, like scared they were like oh my god you're leaving this school they they set up a meeting with my high school tennis coach and he was convincing me not to transfer so everyone in my life it seemed like was telling me not to do this like i'm leaving one of the best engineering schools to us like ut dallas is a great academic school it's just not as well known as a school like purdue and especially to my parents not knowing much about it that was it was very like it's very different from their entire dream they had for me and what they wanted out of their kid. All of a sudden I'm making a decision that is going against everything that they thought was good for me. So, um, so yeah, once I made that decision, I'm like, I'm so happy with that decision. I, every day that I look back on it, I'm happy that I made that decision. So it's funny though, at the time when you have so much resistance involved, it's, it can be tough to make that decision and like stick to your guns. So what, yeah, what no, major, there was a lot of sorry, what major did you, did you choose then when you moved to uh, UT Dallas? Yeah. So I went into it and business. So I got my undergrad in information technology and systems. And then my two masters were an MBA and then an MS in it management. So I still like the technology side of things. I also wanted to, involve myself with uh, business too mm. so that's something i didn't see as much in engineering it was more about just the traditional math and science and um, there wasn't much business involved in that so mm -hmm. um so going back to like high school then what drew you to tennis so i played every other sport besides tennis like football basketball baseball and i was on the soccer team in high school actually and I wasn't the best soccer player. Like I was okay. And I had some chances, like maybe my junior or senior year, I could play on varsity and do well. I really love soccer, but um, the varsity coach, like they already, I was a goalie and they already had a couple of goalies that they liked. And she, she's a good coach, but she plays favorites and she liked the guys that she had. So I knew that I wasn't going to get the opportunity that I wanted. And I wasn't like, super passionate to where I was going to do it anyway. So my mom found that our school had a summer tennis camp. So my first exposure to tennis was actually our high school summer tennis camp, which was run by the high school coach. And I met the coach, started out with the Walmart racket. And um, yeah, I fell in love with the sport. And their summer camp was a really cool team culture. And they taught the game well for beginners. So it really drew me into that atmosphere. Like I really liked the team and the way the coach um, ran the team. So um, it was, we were, I'm really fortunate that they even had a summer program that I could join. So that, that's how I got my start in tennis. Cool. And then you were able to continue on and get like on the, the team when you went to UT Dallas? Um, yeah. So when I went to Purdue and I wasn't on the team there, I was looking at any school that I could, transfer to that was still a good academic school like I didn't want to drop off considerably with the academics with the academics just to play tennis 
So I found UTD and they had a really good IT program. And I emailed uh, the coach, Coach Witt, and I still have the email today. I sent him this long email about how I just am looking for any opportunity. And he just replied, yeah, you look like you'd be a good fit for the program. Um, and then I asked him, like, can I at least have a guaranteed spot on the team? Like, I don't care if it's the last spot I'm out of the lineup. I just want to have a spot where I can play. And he said that I could have a spot and I transferred, like, I set up my transfer that day. So as soon as I got the news that I had a spot, I um, made up my mind that I wanted to transfer. So that's how you um, initially met Clint. Um, is that what you were saying? Yeah. So uh-huh. yeah. So I met Clint through his connections uh, uh, with our coach in, in Dallas, okay. and he had played at UTD several years prior. And he actually was the grad assistant coach the my last year there, which was last mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. So that's where I really got coached by him so I had met him a couple times that we we had just talked like casually and then when he came on as a grad assistant for UTD that's when he brought his mindset coaching to the program and it really resonated with me and I transformed my mindset over the last few months where um and that was largely due to his coaching so um, that's where I met him. And then also with the business, um, I decided to get involved. I, I straight up asked him like, Hey, I want to be a part of this. Like a kid's, you know, I can do some of this IT stuff, uh, some of the social media. And then he was like, yeah, I want to partner up. And then it's been a great relationship ever since. So. Cool. So what is the work that you guys are doing with athletes first? Yeah. So with the athlete first brand, what we do is mindset coaching for athletes. So we hit a specific points that athletes can use for their sport and also other areas of their life. So for example, we talk about language, goal setting, identity, uh, like how to, how to watch competition, how to be like, how to perform better in competition. So there's a bunch of different things that we coach on. Uh, we have a performance mindset series that we do on an individual and group basis. So we can coach teams or individual athletes. And the cool part is we also tie in parents into the process. So a lot of coaches are like, yeah, I want to coach the kids and I want nothing to do with the parents, right? Where Clint actually wants to align parents with coaches. So we bring them in the process and um, align that, and that creates a stronger family connection as well. So, mm-hmm. and so I've talked with Clint since he was um, working in high school and about what he's doing with his students and then athletes too with that mindset piece. So I'm curious to hear from somebody that got to experience from that side that mindset piece. Um, yeah, what what is he doing? Um, what was he doing is still, um, that was different that drew you in. Um, what changes did you notice in yourself too, as you were going through what he is teaching? Yeah. So the first change that I noticed was with the language piece. (laughs) So I didn't even realize the amount of soft talk and the amount of like that type of conflict language that I was using in my everyday speech. I, I remember the first time I scheduled a call with Clint, I told him, yeah, like around this time would probably work, right? Like I just gave him such a soft answer. And then looking back, I, I was thinking, wow, like I didn't even realize the, like what my language was. So once I realized how to be intentional with my language and how speaking solidly can lead to solid goals, solid beliefs, that was the, the first change. And yeah, the, the way he coached and how he was able to tie in tennis and his military experience and teaching experience and put all of that together, it really resonated with me because he had experience from a variety of different backgrounds that he was able to apply into how he coached. And so, yeah, starting with the language piece, that's when I noticed an immediate change because we're speaking all the time, right? So if you're able to understand the power of your words, then you can notice it every time that you speak. So I became way more aware of how I spoke and then um, applied that to every area of my life. 
when I was mm. talking about goals or writing things down, I applied all the language pieces I learned from that, from him. And then also through doing uh, vocabulary and um, other courses like that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we, we run our wor- world with words, the words here and the words that are here is in my head um, yeah. and then yeah. the words <laughs> coming out of um, our mouths. So yeah, we're hearing words from others. We're thinking words, we're saying words. And when you can take your power over, take control of what those words are, it really changes a lot. And sure. at, yeah. And as an athlete too, um, did once you were like taking control and of the language going from conflict to architect language, did you notice any change in your performance? Because I did notice um, you had in what you had written too for your intro was um, you wanted to pursue becoming a professional um, tennis player. And now like, are you are you a professional tennis player? Um, is that pursuing or I am now? Yeah. How has it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that shift has actually happened recently and I wouldn't be, um, I wouldn't have pursued it or mm-hmm. I, now I consider myself, I am a professional tennis player after playing a few tournaments now and I've started the process. So I wouldn't be doing any of that. If I didn't have the mindset coaching from coach Clint mm-hmm. and my language, um, changed like from the end from the end of last season so last spring I was thinking about it and I was still saying yeah I want to be a pro I just like you know maybe I can do it right and then as soon as the language piece clicked with me I decided that one of my identity pieces that I'm going to say every morning is that I am a professional Mm -hmm. so I was saying that every single morning and it like I got it ingrained in my belief system now. And yeah, I noticed a huge difference in how I play and in the self-talk that I use on the court. I used to say so many negative things on the court and wasn't in control of myself and my mindset when I, while I was playing. So I've noticed a change there, even with how I talk to myself on the court. And I've seen my results improve. And I've also seen my composure on the court completely change and that that's purely because of the language stuff so what would you say the social rebellion um that you guys are like uh, leading with the work with uh, athletes first um so with athlete first specifically um i so we hear the phrase a lot about what percentage of your sport is mental like even pro athletes will say like 90 percent of this sport is mental Mm -hmm. and yet when you go to train your mindset there weren't really a lot of resources i found as far as an athlete training their mindset or that wasn't something that was consistent with the amount of time we were putting in on the court or in the weight room there wasn't a training component for our mind so i want the social rebellion for us to involve um to involve athletes choosing to train their mindset and realizing that it's a trainable skill along with all the other skills they're developing as an athlete Mm -hmm. and then personally for my social rebellion i i want people to pursue what they want to do regardless of what society is telling them to do so like if you know people might want to make a lot of money and like but they can find something that they want to do and like use that to make a lot of money instead of just going and getting that standard nine to five job after going to college and living that same boring life that, that society tells us to live. So on a personal level that Mm -hmm. I, I want people to pursue their purpose and what they want to do and um, find a way to have their greatest impact doing it that way. And, Coming from, for you, coming from a traditional Indian family where um, I, yeah, my sister spent years over in India and also like I've, I've been around families that I, yeah. I um, where the value I am seeing and I imagine it was the same for you as we um, were doctors or we're, we're working in the science field where I want you, I expect my kids to um have this certain life so yeah when you decided to pursue your dreams and you had pushback um 
from your family, like I'm curious as well. Um, did they, uh, yeah, what you've told us a bit about how that was like, they brought your past coach over as well to talk to you and be like, Hey, you shouldn't be doing this. Um, once they saw that you were happy, um, and pursuing what you want to do, do, was there any change there? Because yeah, you had, you had quite a bit of pushback from what you were saying, so what did you notice with your family um, once you started pursuing your dreams? Yeah. Um, so once, once I started being serious about it and taking actions, that's when I noticed my family respect my respect that I was doing more. When I was talking about it a lot and telling them what I wanted to do, and then looking back when I was telling them with soft talk about what mm-hmm. I wanted to do, I wasn't getting that respect of um or that support from them once i took action and really just even if i went against what they were saying when i took action and then they saw how committed i was to doing this and i I was taking you know bold actions as far as traveling to tournaments or driving longer distances than i had ever traveled and just little things like that once they saw that then that action spoke louder than anything I was telling them. And then they started to respect that I was doing more. So I, so I think part of the um, idea of the social rebellion is that like, like you guys say too, it's through small, bold actions mm-hmm. and those actions can, uh, can influence people around you and like, you know, show, like show what you're doing rather than talking about something without doing it. So mm-hmm. I really saw the difference once I started taking those actions. And those actions also just show the commitment, right? Mm-hmm. So exactly. Showing exactly. that you're actually committed to this thing and it's not just a mistake that you're going to, I don't know, not necessarily pursue that it's something mm-hmm. you're committed to. And I think once we show people that we're committed to something and we're going to put all of our hard work into it, um, it does, it can help change people's minds. You know exactly. Yeah. This is the thing. This is the thing I'm going to bust my ass for. Exactly. And it solidifies it in your own mind too. Like mm-hmm. you, like when you show yourself, like with your actions, what you're willing to do, then like you start to pursue your goal more because like you see the momentum built, like you're building the momentum yourself just from taking those small steps every yeah. day. And it's the difference between like having a preference and making a decision. Like I would prefer to go to this school and play tennis and do IT um, but without taking any action, you're not making any changes. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you had a question. <laughs> okay. We're just all going to stare at each other right yeah. now. Yeah. This is the moment where we break this, <laughs> break it, have silence. Um, yeah. And so do you have do you have siblings as well? No, I'm an only child. You're an only child. So, okay. Because I was yeah. curious if you had siblings, I was going to ask um, if you noticed then after you took these actions, if there was any change for them to like, oh, yeah, I see now I can break <laughs> out of the box. But yeah. Um, and I'm guessing that they're like, even with your parents, they're seeing like, oh, hey, yeah, things can be different. They don't have to be their traditional sense. So yeah, yeah. leading leading the way. Yeah, I, I wanted to. I had a question for you guys too. Mm-hmm. Like, do you think parents are like are doing that out of a sense of fear about their kids, or they just know a certain way? Like, do you think that's because of like society telling them that, or they just are are scared for their kids to pursue something different than what they think? Or why why do you think that in general parents like parent from that angle rather than but you know wanting their kids to do whatever they want? Um, I'm going to answer that as uh, also a like child of immigrant parents. Mm. And I know my, like I'm in Canada. I know my parents came to Canada because they wanted a better life. They wanted a better education that I would have gotten back home. They want me to have a better job, more money, all of these things. So I think um, as 
coming from that immigrant background, I think oftentimes they just want to see our children uh, do better than what we did. So I think it is a little bit of the fear, fear that they're going to make choices so that they're not improving or that this whole move to a new country was was uh, pointless um, mm -hmm. or um, you know, just fear that the kids are not going to have that success that they really want that wanted for them. And there is that story of this is what success looks like. Yeah. Right. So like, yeah. you know, for your parents, like maybe yeah. pursuing that American dream. Well, what does that American dream look like? What is the story of the American dream? Or is my for my parents, the Canadian dream? Uh, <laughs> what does that look like for your kids? Right. And so when the kids are like, no, I don't want to do that. Your dream is not my dream. They don't necessarily see any other way. So I think it's a bit of both. It's that mm -hmm. fear. It's that kids or uh, of all of it, the fear of the kids not succeeding, the, the fear of like um, them not doing what you hoped for with like the whole thing of moving to another country and having that mm -hmm. betterment for your children um, and just not understanding that there is more than one way and there's more than one way to be happy. Mm -hmm. Like when I quit my corporate job, you know, my parents were worried about me. I make way less money now than I did when I was in my corporate job, um, but I'm much more happier. And I'd add like I'm coming from the American side too, of like with the parents that, you know, um, are working with is um, fulfilling a dream that maybe the parents didn't like they had for themselves that didn't come to fruition. So maybe a parent's like, I really wanted to pursue tennis. And there's all these reasons why, like maybe the parents gotten their parents got in the way. Maybe they had an injury. Um, they had a family and now they're like, well, that goes to the wayside. So now I want my kid to live what I couldn't live. Live vicariously. So, mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So there's, there's that too. And who, um, like what, there's, there's all sorts of comedies based off of the like Indian yeah. families. So I could, I could guess based off of that. And then my own experiences with um, people I've talked with, but um, from like a lot of coming from India, the immigration that way too, it's a lot of like engineering, science, doctor background. Um, and that's a lot of um, what I see. And the reason why coming to the U.S. is you can make money. You become a doctor, you become a scientist, engineer, you go make those money things. And um, <laughs> arts or sports, those aren't seen as things that are going to make money to make a better life, too. So um, we're over here. <laughs> I think almost every profession, we're at the point where we're like... You got to be an athlete or somebody famous to make money. <laughs> what, yeah. um, what, do, what do your parents do? So my dad's an insurance agent. Um, and then my mom retired recently. She was an accountant for a while. Hmm. Um, and it's funny you brought that up. So my dad, being an insurance agent, he it's really like you have your own business. So you work with a company, but you have your own business. You build your client base up from zero like he would still tell me the story of the first client he ever got. Um, he still has 20 years later. So he's still insuring their cars and the houses now. And it's like, um, it's interesting though, that like he started his own business and I got to see how hard he would work and his idea of ownership of something rather than being just a small part of something. So it was interesting for me when my parents are telling me to, pursue academics and go get a job and do this and then I see what my dad's doing and how he's taking ownership of what he's doing and it was um it was it was just interesting seeing that like I'm actually following what he's doing rather than what they were saying mm -hmm. so <laughs> um so yeah it's like I, I found a lot of parallels of how I'm living now to how my dad lived his life back when he was in his 20s and 30s even though I wasn't even born yet so mm -hmm. I, um, I'm still like, he used to, he was traveling a lot, going from different jobs, country to country. And that's exactly what I'm doing now for tennis, where I'm going to be going, I was just in the Dominican Republic. I'm going to be going to different countries, mm -hmm. um, next year and playing and traveling. So it's exactly what he did when he was younger. 
um, yet he didn't want me to follow in that same direction. Mm. So <laughs> I wonder if there's a money story there too. Like maybe because you know you can the the idea is you come over and get those good jobs, those those tech and IT and um, jobs that those are going to make money. So I'm curious, or could just be <laughs> that's that's traditionally what parents want um, for their kids is to yeah go off and do. I mean even even kids um, in the U.S. How many of them their parents want them to be a doctor or engineer or something that's going to make yeah. money? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's like it's that idea of so I don't I'm not married or I don't have kids or anything right and um, but I've always thought about what I want to be like as a father like down the road and i thought of the idea that i want to raise my kids to give them the opportunity to do whatever they want to do where i think some parents raise their kids to give them all the opportunities that they wanted if they were mm-hmm. a kid, versus now i want to give my kids the opportunity to do whatever they want to do mm-hmm. so like I, I think parents still like you're saying live uh, vicariously through their kids or believe that what they like their dream that they had growing up or what they wanted it's like what their kids want or what their kids should do so mm-hmm. yeah and then well since you work with the parents of athletes so bringing all that knowledge like how are you using that um or how will you use that then to with the parents of athletes who most likely not most likely, but I'm going to guess some of them at least are <laughs> living vicariously through their kids. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. So how how are you bringing that knowledge or how will you bring that knowledge to working with the parents of the athletes? So like the main idea of that is that um, sometimes parents don't understand what it's about. Right. So if like their athlete, their kids are the ones that are playing the ones that are putting themselves out there so it's about them it's about the lessons that they're learning the process that they're going through so it's it's not about the parent in that sense the parent is there in a supporting role so a lot of times parents feel like they're out there with them i've had matches where my mom called me after the match she wasn't even there i was in a completely different country and she's like oh man that was a really tough one just after seeing the score like she's out of breath right (laughs) and it's like so parents sometimes live like that where they feel like they're a part of it Mm -hmm. and part of it like they want to be a part of it and then the other part is they're taking on that stress of like being like what their kid should be going through right in their own mind Mm -hmm. so part of that is when we're talking to parents Clint does a really good job of this where he creates that separation of this is about the kid and this is a supporting role. So the parents play a certain supporting role in that kid's life as do the coaches and everyone else in that person's life. So once we can have parents understand their role and we'll actually have the kids describe the role that they want from their parents. So one of the things we'll do with kids is have them explain to their parents how they want to be supported during a, during competition Mm -hmm. so that's a conversation a a lot of kids aren't having with their parents yet they they don't like it when their parents are saying certain things Mm -hmm. during during their games right that it may it may not come off right to the kid so Mm -hmm. we actually encourage the kids to have those conversations about how they want to be supported how how do they want their parents to show up in practices and, and games so having those conversations and then understanding the roles that they play, we've seen a huge difference in, and it makes the whole family better off. Mm-hmm. Now there's discussions about sports even after the games, like they're, they're different because there's a mutual understanding and respect there. So, yeah. And to be able to have that conversation to begin with of like, Hey, you said this, you, you, the way you say this may feel supportive to you, but to me, I feel like I'm not living up to what you're saying or it gets in my head or mm-hmm. that being able to have that conversation, being taught to have that conversation and in a space where it may be a little, there might be a little less pressure for it. Um, that's a huge thing because that goes so far into every relationship. Like 
relationships down the road with your boss, with a future partner, with kids, like being able to have that with parents, with support from their, their coaches, um, to it, it, yeah, it's, it's a big, it's a huge Mm -hmm. thing. It might seem like a small step and yet it has ramifications that will go down the line in their life. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, so I was like a youth athlete, a relatively high level youth athlete. And, um, I remember before a tournament telling my dad, like my hips really hurt, my hips really hurt. And, uh, this is, you know, in the olden days. So I wasn't going to a chiropractor or a physio back then. Um, and I remember my dad telling me that I had a failure mindset and that I was, there's no way I was going to win this tournament going with such a failure mindset where it wasn't a failure mindset. I was actually telling him about my physical pain that I was, I was having. And, you know, I learned that you just keep your physical pain to yourself and you work through it and you don't tell anybody. And so like you learn a lesson from these things. And I know my dad was thought he was being helpful, but like, I was just actually in pain, you know, I was like, whatever, 14 years old, physically in pain about to compete and telling him like, I hurt physically. And, um, so yeah, the things that our, our family says to us, even though, like you said, they think they're being supportive can really just, um, have a huge impact on like how you go through the rest of your life. Like I work through yeah. pain all the time when I don't need to, or I shouldn't, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. it's just a story that I learned from a young yeah. age. So it's important to impact what the parents say mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, like that's another thing uh, that Clint also mentions to um, a lot of parents is, do you realize the impact of what you're saying and what you're doing on your kid? Like, for example, Mm -hmm. you brought up that story now about something that happened when you were a kid and like Mm -hmm. gave examples of how you still live that way because of how you were taught, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes parents don't realize that that is a potential impact of how they're speaking to their kid in a certain moment after competition. Yeah. They, they're just living in the moment of what they're saying. Right. Mm-hmm. But there could be lifelong impacts and like change the mindset of how your kid thinks just because of how you're talking to them in that moment. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's important story, for parents to be aware. Yeah. And the stories that come up. So my story mm-hmm. is physical pain. If you stop for physical pain, then you're a failure simple exactly. story but yeah how does that carried on through like mm-hmm. so much of life exactly where, where else does that show up now mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. totally mm-hmm. so we talk a lot about good trouble uh so what does good trouble mean to you and how are you making good trouble in the world so good trouble to me means doing things like other people may not agree with that or may question it and I've found that a lot of times that means I'm doing something good. So like it's trouble for other people is how I view that. Like where, for example, my decision to transfer schools, I had so many people in my close circle telling me what I was doing wasn't the right decision. And I logically looked at all of their arguments and I disagreed. Like I just felt like I want to do this for me. So in that sense, I was creating good trouble within my circle and looking at it as something that I still wanted to do. So I'm going to do it anyway, regardless of what the consequences are, or what other people are going to say about it. So I look at creating good trouble as pursuing what you want to do and making decisions independent of what other people are going to think or say. So, and again, you can take advice from people, right? So like, I, like I took advice from them and I really valued their opinions when they were telling me like their advice. I just didn't agree with any of it. So, (laughs) so I just looked at that as I'm creating that trouble around, like in my circles or just stirring up something that I'm doing something different. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's almost triggering them because it's like, I have the courage to actually do it. So Mm -hmm. like, it's creating that trouble yet for me, it's not any trouble. It's something I just got to do. So Mm -hmm. it might create trouble around me. Right. But I like to 
focus on the reasons that I'm doing it. So. Which you brought up a really good point right there too, is um, they, the people reacting to it, what that, that creating the good trouble in around you, what that's bringing up for them is most likely an area where they are wishing they had done the same thing. And as humans, um, <laughs> we tend to, until we realize like what we're doing in our heads with the words and the words that are coming out of our mouth, we tend to want everybody to stay where we are. Like, oh, they're doing this thing that I wanted to do, but I wasn't successful at it. So I want them to fail too. Um, and yeah, it's yeah. not always intentional, but it's sort of what we do until we take control of those words. Yeah, for sure. And people mask that too. They'll mask mm -hmm. that by giving advice when if you look at why they're giving you that advice, it could be because they failed or they never had the courage to do that mm -hmm. in the first place. So they don't want you to do something different and succeed. So like, and it's, it can be tough to see that because that can be masked as just like general advice or someone mm -hmm. caring about you or being cautious. So it's, it's like, you have to take that with a grain of salt and be like, have a strong belief system in yourself and mm. like have that in place and and trust yourself and trust your instincts and learn through your experience because and because that advice can be coming from the people closest to you like that could be coming from your parents or your best friend and like you so it can be tough to like create that good trouble where there's the sticking points among the people closest to you yet you still want to pursue something mm -hmm. so yeah yeah, <laughs> those those sneaky words that we um well, and once you're on the other side of it too, of knowing like the difference between that conflict language and the architect language, um, there's a whole new side too to be like, okay, well, I see what you are doing with your words over there, um, and getting to work on, am I going to let this affect me, or am I going to um, continue to trust that I know what's best for me versus listening to what you think you're saying is best for me, but really it's coming from a place of your own stories that you're creating, whether that's your fears, your, um, your insecurities, things that you wish that you had created. So yeah, it's a, um, yeah, it's an interesting place to be in too, to, um, be able to witness those things and then learn how to react to it like getting that space to be like i can be reactive or i can be i can um choose what my reaction is yeah for, for sure mm -hmm. so yeah um you're working so we've talked about athlete first um and what you're doing there is there anything else that you're up to that you would want that you want to share about or talk about um, yeah, so besides athlete first, um, playing professional tennis. Um, so yeah, that's like the uh, coolest thing there that I've gotten to do so far is just travel to all these different places. And um, it's just, I've, I found that like, like, it's very cliche to, you know, enjoy the journey, not the destination and all that, right? Um, I've, found that like with all these different journeys that i'm on it's like a lot of it can be tough like with the flights and the travel expenses and i found that when i shifted my mindset into like i'm gonna have fun i'm gonna find all the fun stuff that's part of it up like a part of this journey whether it's a long drive or long flights i've noticed that that shift in my mindset where i'm looking for those like reasons why it's fun or reasons why this is going to be a good story later mm -hmm. i've been able to enjoy all of those experiences a lot more so that's been a cool thing that's happened since i've been traveling and started this journey is that it wasn't just that i'm enjoying the journey like I, i'm just looking for all the ways that this is going to be fun or this is going to be a good story so mm -hmm. times that like even during the adversity of like you know, not knowing if I'm going to like miss my flight or just certain things like that. I've actually found times where it's fun because I was thinking like, oh, this is going to be a fun um, story later. Or so I've like, so through playing tennis, I've just, I've seen all those, I've seen my mindset grow in a lot of different ways.
So, mm. um, yeah. When fun, um, fun makes it fun. <laughs> like when you're looking for those spots, because yeah, if you're in something for like, I'm going to do this for the money or I'm going to do this for the fame or I'm going to, I don't know, whatever reasons you want to put in. This is this is why I'm doing it, to make an impact on the world. Um, without the fun aspect of it, like it, you start to lose the whole why behind it. Like, even if it is, I want to make a lot of money. Like <laughs> when the money is a bonus when you're looking at the fun, um, because and what I like to say is if I'm looking at anything else other than the fun, like I lose the purpose to it. So if I am not finding the fun in something anymore, now I'm probably lost in like, oh, no one's listening to what I have to say. Or like with my books, no one's buying my books. And um, what am I going to do now? Versus when I'm looking at the fun part of it, it's like, well, am I having fun creating? Am I having fun doing these things? Yeah, uh, so I can keep going. But if I look at like the numbers or hey, I, I missed this flight. Now I've got like I'm two hours behind where I should be right now. Um, Yeah, you just you get lost in the all the things that could be happening. And when you focus on the fun, it's like, yes, I've got this. <laughs> what else? Yeah. What's next? It's, it's amazing how many people don't have fun in their day-to-day lives at all and yet they will sell you that life as if it's a dream Mm -hmm. so it's like like how can that be an enjoyable life when you don't have fun at all like there's nothing about your day that you enjoy you dread waking up every morning to go to your job that you hate like how is that how is that a dream or how is that fun yeah they'll Mm -hmm. like try to speak that into existence like yeah this is like great and you should do this too and (laughs) i have so many friends that are working a nine-to-five job that i graduated with and and they they hate it like they're like they tell me about it and they're just like yeah i hate having to do this and like it's it's just like they're realizing that that dream that they were sold wasn't really like wasn't the reality like when you actually have to do it so it's just interesting seeing how many people like that just Mm -hmm. they don't have fun yet they're telling you to do exactly what they're doing and it's like why would i want to be miserable (laughs) doing what you're doing well and then with that we normalize those like unhealthy coping mechanisms Mm. like how glorified is it on like social media that every night mommy has a giant glass of wine once the kids go to bed and has her mommy juice or whatever and like like, it's so prevalent and so like kind of glorified that this is what you do at the end of the day to cope with the fact that you're miserable and not living your dream I'm like this is terrible. Why are we selling this? Right. Exactly. You know, Netflix and wine. And then, and, and that's how you, you cope with the fact that you're unhappy with your life. Yeah. Like, or you could, you could make a change. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Have have you thought about changing it? (laughs) Is it working? No. (laughs) What can we change? Yeah. Yeah. It's like people bond over that. Like where Mm -hmm. they like, they're miserable so it's like the misery loves company right Mm -hmm. where like they're miserable so they want to like be surrounded with that it's like oh 100 yeah 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 on that i was having a conversation recently with um another author where i had um i've recently i've been like oh my book sales aren't where like the first one were last year and so i had these stories going in my head and the I saw a few other authors were saying the same, like where book sales are lower than where they were this time last year. And I was like, oh, okay, this this helps me just relax a little bit. Like it's not a me thing. It seems to be, I mean, it somewhat is a me thing because I'm not marketing <laughs> that hard. But um, also in general, like they don't, don't seem to be as high. There was somebody that started re- talking to me and she's like, oh yeah, like this seen somebody else is doing really well while I'm struggling with sales over here. And I told her, I'm like, I was, it was good to have this conversation to know that others are seeing this, but her response was like, yeah, misery loves company. And I was like, I don't know you well enough to have this conversation, but I'm not miserable. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like people are looking for that. Like they Mm -hmm. want to bond over that. It's Mm -hmm. like, 
which why not choose to bond over the opposite like why not choose to like find like happiness in what you're doing and spread that type of energy mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah cool so where can our listeners go to find out more about you so about me so i'm running the athlete first social media so we have i have some videos now that i've put out that are on there and there's a lot of stuff with coach clint on there um so that would be the place and we have our network that we started recently um, on mighty networks and right now we're letting in people for free as we build up content so um i can i don't know if i can send you guys a link for that or yeah um, yeah we'll put it in the show notes Mm. okay perfect yeah so i can send you that so right now uh we don't have the time period on how long we're doing this, but as of right now, it's open. So we're letting in parents, athletes, and coaches in for free. Um, they'll, they'll have different groups within there and different content catered to them. And we're actually building courses right now that are um, going to be in there as well. So, um, so yeah, those are the two places. So any social media like Instagram, TikTok, you'll find us um, on Athlete First and then um, also joining our network. Yeah. Um, and then let, um, (laughs) why am I having a hard time right now? (laughs) The question's right in front of me. (laughs) I have to add extra words. So (laughs) we, um, now our final question is how would you recommend our listeners go about starting their own pirate life? Um, yeah. So understanding what, they want to do with their lives like even if there were dreams that they had when they were younger or things that they wanted to do but never got around to doing it like actually like understanding what those are and then taking those small actions and Mm -hmm. choosing to do that independent of what other people in their circle are gonna say are, are gonna think and focusing on what they can do and taking those like small actions every day in order to achieve what they want and like being okay with being happy instead of trying to bond with others over being miserable and thinking that's okay like do what's actually going to make you happy that's really great advice yeah (laughs) (laughs) and yeah it's been a really great conversation too talking about all kinds of things um so yeah thank thank you for chatting with us today and having this conversation yeah thank you guys so much i really appreciate the opportunity and uh i look forward to listening to your podcast more even more and uh, <laughs> i really appreciate being on here it was a great conversation thank you for listening to this episode of pirate living podcast we really enjoyed our conversation with today's guests and hope you enjoyed it too If you are enjoying Pirate Living Podcast and all the content we bring to you each week, one way you can support us is to buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash pirate living. Other ways you can show your support as well, subscribe and follow Pirate Living Podcast, rate and review our show, and share this podcast with your friends. You can find us on Instagram at Pirate Living Podcast to keep up with the latest episodes, awesome guests, and bonus clips. Pop in and say hi. We love chatting with fellow pirates. You can also reach out to us uh, to learn more about our individual and group coaching programs. Ask her on about her online nutrition programs and in-person programs she's creating for teens. For the little pirates in your life, check out my, Kristen's, Abracadabra books and my wins journal on Amazon. And check out Language Ninjas on Instagram. You can also check out our pirate merch at our online pirate shop, or on Public. The links to these are in the show notes, so check there. And as usual, keep creating good trouble.